You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Today I'm going to be reading out of John chapter 1. If you grabbed a black Bible from the front, it's on page 833. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the word of the Lord. All right, I'm going to pray for us. Dear God, uh, thank you so much for the chance to gather freely as a church and worship you. Um, I pray that we would be attentive and focused upon Casey as he delivers us a message, and I pray that he would be a um, faithful servant to you and that his words would bless us with wisdom and grace, God. And again, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here in Central Middle School. And I pray that you would be living and active among these people and that as they teach and learn all the wisdom of the world, it would ultimately point them towards you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Well, good morning, uh, and Merry Christmas. We put the tree up, so it's okay. Uh, my name's Casey. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, if you're with us for the first time, we've been in this exact passage. This is the third week, and we've got one more week, and uh, we're looking at everything that John uh, says that we get in Christmas. And so John doesn't give us the, the normal uh, Christmas story with all the details of what happened that, that night. But he gives us the details about what do we get in Christmas. If Jesus has come and if he is God incarnate and he came to live among us, he wrote himself into the story uh, that he might redeem mankind, which eventually gets us to his death and resurrection. If that's true, what do we get in Christmas? Christmas. 
What, what is the Christmas message? And so we, we've looked at uh, Jesus, the Word of God. He is the message that he wanted to send to us. And so if you have questions about what God is like, look to the message. Look to Jesus. How he interacted with people will teach us how God will interact with us. And then we looked at Jesus, uh, the light. That he came to penetrate the darkness and darkness flees. And that's not just darkness around us. It's also darkness inside of us. And even after the light has entered into our lives, there's still shadows in our lives, shadows of unbelief. But the good news is, is that Jesus is the walking light. He's the living light and he is nosy. And once you let him into his life, he's going to start poking around your life and he's going to start uncovering things, not to get you, but to free you and relieve you. And so if you still have areas in your life of disbelief, like join the club and give Jesus time. When he starts knocking on a door that you don't want to open, have faith, open that door. And this week we're looking at Jesus as the gift of God. And someone asked me this week, of like, hey, we're still in that passage. Are you going to run out of things to say? And I was like, no, I'm not going to run out of things. I'll just make up a story, you know? But as we look at this, man, I was uh, actually we were watching TV, and an advertisement for a Christmas movie that I'd never heard of came up. But it had all the same kind of themes that most Christmas movies have. You know, and so when I say words like um, family, gifts, Joy, crackling fires, and Norwals, and cotton-headed ninny-muggins. Like, you think about Christmas. Like, all of these stories seem to encompass these things that, you know, like we're trying to get together, but there's things keeping us apart, but we'll go to great lengths to get together that we might have joy with one another. I mean, even Die Hard has that theme. The greatest Christmas movie ever made. Watch the TV edited version, but the greatest movie, like, listen, I mean, John McClane just wants to be with his family and a terrorist group that is stealing money uh, from the, uh, I can't remember the name of the building, but I wrote it down. The Nakatomi building can't stop him because he wants to be with his family and nothing can stop. And so we see these themes of family, gifts, joy, and If you have family like that, it produces a longingness inside of you, even there, but a longingness that feels like it could be fulfilled. Like It it produces something that feels somewhat congruent with what's available. But if you don't have family like that, man, it produces a sadness and a loss. And sometimes we, we miss the sadness and loss and it gets thrown into the junk drawer of anger and shaking your fist and we wonder why and it brings hurt. And so when we look at this, like there's a lot of ways that the idea of Christmas can be hard for a lot of people. You know, the idea of Christmas can be hard for like if you're, if you're first married and you realize, man, you can't be everywhere at once. And so you have to disappoint one side of the family to say yes to the other side. And then you just disappoint the other side of the family next year to say yes to the other side that you disappointed last year. And so it feels like a continual revolving door of like disappointment. Or you know that you're going to show up and you don't really like traditional Christmas food. And the whole time while you're eating traditional Christmas food, you're saying, man, I wish I had a burrito. But sometimes the hurt is much deeper than that. 
And like, I just want to point the attention, like we call this season, um, it's been called Advent. Advent comes from a Latin word that means arrival. And it shows the period of time that God's people were looking at the Old Testament, looking at the promises of a Messiah to come who would free them, a Messiah who would come, who would usher in a new kingdom that would establish goodness and holiness and righteousness. They were looking forward to a Messiah who would come. And while they were looking forward to the arrival of that Messiah, they felt a longingness and a brokenness and all that was wrong with the world. They still felt that. And Jesus came. And as we look at that Advent, his coming then, we look forward to the next Advent. That one day Jesus will come, not as he came the first time, as a sacrificial lamb to take away our sins. He'll come as the victorious king to end all sin, to end all brokenness to end all doubt. And he says he's going to do it personally, that he'll wipe your tears away. And then we get the promises of the scripture, like in the Psalms, where it says, those who reap, uh, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And so there's a culmination that's coming that comes with King Jesus. And so we look at Christmas that Jesus has come. He has established a kingdom, and he's made all kinds of promises. And John eludes to so many of these promises. Some obviously in some not so obviously. And so the first, like, I just want to make this case that we're looking at what we get in Christmas, that it's a gift. And so look at verse 11. In verse 11, it says, he came to his own people, but then it says his people did not receive him. And so he came bearing something himself. He came with something inside of himself. He came with himself as the word of God, the very presence of God, God incarnate. He came and was offering it, and some said no, and they wouldn't receive it. But we also have verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him. And so that tells us there's this offer that comes with Christmas that we can reject or we can accept And I just want to show you what it is that's being offered. Because my experience is a lot of people walk away from Christmas or a lot of people walk away from the Christian faith, but they're rejecting it not based on the gifts that's actually being offered. They're rejecting what they think is in the present. And so they walk away with things like, man, I would be a Christian, you know, but all those hypocrites. And I'm like, man, we got a lot of them, but Christmas is for hypocrites too. Jesus came to save us from our hypocrisy and it's never going to be fully out of us. We're always going to be wrestling with it. And if right now you're thinking, man, I don't know. I don't wrestle with that. You are a hypocrite. Or they'll say, man, I I don't know about being a Christian. I just, I can't vote that way. And I assure you, the gift of Christmas is not a voter registration card. I assure you that. The gift of Christmas is a new kingdom that you were created to be in, but you lost the rights to that kingdom and you fell out of grace because our forefathers in Adam, they fell out of grace. They chose themselves. So we are plagued with a selfishness inside of us. It is deep inside of us. It's around every just cell in your body. It pulls and it holds. And the scriptures describe it as a slave master over us. And then even after we've come to Christ and we've crossed over from death to life, that we are now sons and daughters of the king, that all of that has been regenerated in us and it's given to us as a gift. We don't earn it. We don't make it. We don't build it up. It's something that is given to us and it changes us. But even after that, we still have a Romans 7 where the apostle Paul, 
The great persecutor of the church that was trying to stop the church, he witnessed the things of Jesus as an enemy of Jesus. He probably witnessed the death and the resurrection, I mean, not the resurrection yet, that's about to happen. He witnessed all of that as an enemy of Christ, trying to stop it, but then he met the risen Christ. And he was commissioned as an apostle. And so he writes in Romans 7, man, I see this war inside of me. Why do I do what I don't want to do? And when I want to do what's right, evil is right beside me. And so he talks about a tension inside because sin drives deep. But the promise of scripture is because Christmas happened, because Jesus came in, Jesus will finish what he started. He won't abandon you. He won't leave you. Even when you find yourself in the dark shadow of my family's not what it's supposed to be. Or the dark shadow of I've been forgotten. Or the valley of the shadow of death when we don't know. It says that he is with us and his rod and staff. They comfort us and he prepares a banquet for us before our enemies. The incredible promises of God found their yes in Jesus because Christmas happened. And so with all those excuses, the question is, do you know what you're rejecting when you say no to Jesus? And so we're going to take a look at this. And what we're going to see is everything I told you that exists in Die Hard except the terrorism. Um, And so we're going to look at joy. We're going to look at family. We're going to look at God. I just had to work that one in because we get to verse 14. And then we're going to look at the gospel. And ultimately, we're saying because Jesus has come, these things are available to us. They might look different than than what we think. But because Jesus has come, John is saying joy is available. Family is available. God in flesh is available. And the gospel, the promise of the gospel that was always looked at is made available in the person of Jesus. And it's way more than what you think. And so let's get started. Christmas offers the gift of joy. Christmas offers the gift of joy. And the idea of joy here is a little hidden in the text, but I want you to try to follow me with this. Because what we see for the second time, we see the idea of creation, you know, talked about that is encompassed in the person of Jesus, that he has the power over creation and he is with us again. And so look at verse 10. It says, he, Jesus, was in the world. And then we get this phrase, and the world was made through him. And so he's talking about the irony that the power of the creative God was actually handled through Jesus the Son. And the scriptures actually speak a lot to that. And then it talks about the the absolute craziest thing. And yet the world did not know him, didn't recognize him, looking for something different. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. They rejected him. And so this is pointing to Jesus, and I'm going to make a jump, and I'm going to try to prove it to you. Jesus is the joy of creation, not just the power of creation, but he is the joy of creation. So first, he's the power of creation. The world was made through him. And so like this idea is a really well-founded idea in the New Testament. And so Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created, the heaven and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so Paul, when he is writing to Colossians, he wants to say, hey, when we're looking at Jesus, and when I'm telling you about the life of Jesus and what Jesus taught, and then the death and resurrection of Jesus, all those things in Colossians, he says, Jesus was before all of that. 
He is the creative power of God. But it also says it in Hebrews. So the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 1, verse 2, it says, but in these last days. And so it just got done in verse 1 where he said, listen, man, the prophets came and talked about, you know, this coming Messiah and how God was going to do it. The law was there talking about it. But then it says, but in these last days. He'd be saying this in front of people who knew the life of Jesus, like people who you could interview, people who experienced him in some way. He says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things. And then this idea again, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the creative power of God. Or, or 1 Corinthians 8, 6 for um, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and from whom we exist, and the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. And that's pointing to all things held together and were created by him. Or we get it really plain in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Worthy are you, O Lord, and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. If you read all of, of Revelations 4, he's looking at the Lamb of God. He's looking at the risen Jesus. He's looking at Jesus embodied. And he's saying, these things are what you did. And so, like, I just cut and paste that from two weeks ago to say again, like, within the New Testament, it is saying Jesus was not just a man. He was alongside God, as God, in the creative order, bringing creation into existence. It's an astounding claim. But the Bible doesn't just talk about like how it happened. I mean, we, we love, like we read Genesis 1 and 2. And man, we have lots of questions. Like we, uh, we want to know how. Man, how did it happen? Was that a little seven days? Or did seven days mean epics or periods? You know, how did it happen? Was, was C.S. Lewis right? And Aslan just kind of sang it into existence, which if you haven't read Magician's Nephew, it's really beautiful at the beginning as he walks and he sings the flowers bud and come into place. And so creation was this beautiful song. But then we ask other questions. We're like, where do the dinosaurs fit in? Like the Big Bang, like was that God speaking? He has a booming voice. And so we ask all these questions and you can find areas in scripture that you can make arguments for some of these things. But I want to tell you that the scriptures rest on this, that God created everything because it gave him joy. And so everything around you and in you, it actually in its fully created form, restored form, brings Jesus so much joy. Now, if, if you were in the Bible reading plan, you know that we were in the book of Job. If it's your first time to ever read it, you might have said Job. It's Job. I don't know how that works out. We were in the book of Job for a long time. I mean a long time. And a lot of times, man, I find myself reading the book of Job. And like, I know his friends are jerks until we get to the last friend at the end. I'm like, they're wrong. But what they're saying sounds really right to me. And I'm like, no, that sounds pretty good. Like, no, man, they get rebuked. It's wrong. And so every once in a while in the book of Job, you have these like despairing moments of everything that happened to Job. Like all the suffering and hurt. And you don't know what to do with it. But then you have these beautiful moments where he says, I feel like I have a case before God, but I can't make that case. I need an arbiter. I need a mediator. I need someone to stand in my place to argue my case. And so they're asking for Jesus, but we get to the end. And Job has a pretty good case, like he's just hurting. But God finally shows up and says, okay, I'm going to answer some of your questions. And like, listen, so Job 38, it took us a year to get there, Job 38. It says, then the Lord spoke to Job 
out of the storm, he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And so God says, I've got some questions for you. And we ain't playing Nerf ball, so be ready. I've got some questions. Verse four, he says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimension. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstones? And so he says, I know what you're thinking. Like there's more questions that you might be asking. But look at the mood of what he says. Like he says, listen, do you know how all this came into existence? And he also could be saying, do you know the complexity of darkness and how deep it goes in your soul and how deep it goes into this creative order? Do you know what it takes to bring salvation? Do you know what it takes to cross death to life? Do you know what it takes to actually forgive sins and the patience of God to work it out. He's saying, do you know what it takes? And then look at the, this kind of the mood of it. Verse 7. He says why we were laying the foundations. Why we were measuring. Why we were setting the footings of the earth. And I mean, like even like you think about that. And now that we you know, can see you know, that there's a sun. And we're going around the sun. And it's a globe. And if you're like, it's not a globe. It's a globe, y'all. We've established that for a long time. And like the idea of gravity, but who laid the foundations? But listen to the mood of creation, verse 7. Why the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. As the powerful creative order was being ushered through the person of Jesus, second person of the Trinity, all the creation sang. All of the angels just like got around and just clapped. They're like, this is incredible. Like it was this incredible movement. And then it goes on. Like we get a bigger picture if you jump to Proverbs 8. And so in Proverbs 8 verse 30, you have wisdom being personified, standing next to God. And if the New Testament is true, standing next to the person of Jesus. And through his wisdom, he was laying the foundations of the earth. But listen to how it talks. He says, then I was constantly at his side. The wisdom of the Lord laying the foundations through the power of Jesus Christ. Constantly on his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. And so he's saying like, like the idea of creation was this joyful incredible party that everybody was just blown away like do it again do it again and so the power of creation was through Jesus but the joy of creation was through Jesus and sin marred that and so all the things that have the power to bring like solace and the power to like change your continents good health good food good relationships. All of those things are now somewhat broken, but they started in a perfect created order. And that power has come back. The recreative power that's full of joy has entered back in. And so Jesus, 
The joy of creation has returned. In verse 10, look at verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And so he was in the world, like he came in, he came close, he came back. Jesus, the joy of creation, has come back, has entered himself back in. But it says even more, it says, Jesus, the joy of creation, was rejected by us. And so the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and yet his people did not receive him this gift of the recreated joy that can set all things right in our life and i know if right now you're like i'm a christian but things don't feel all right maybe the recreative power of that fights against sin you're like maybe it's a lot harder than what you think it is but he's come and people can reject him and it's, it's like those crazy moments, like when, you know, you offer, like it's, you know, it's Christmas or Thanksgiving, and someone's like, do you want pie? And someone says no, and you're like, what is wrong with you? Who in the world says no to pie? And like, I used to think that about ice cream, but now I understand what ice cream does to my body, and I understand why people say no. Like, I mean, I'll take a bite, I'm like, oh, it's so good, I love it. And then I'll take another bite, even last night this was happening, and Kenzie was like, you better stop. Um, you know where that's going. I'm like, it might be worth it. That's what you said last time. And it wasn't worth it. And so like rejecting something that's incredible, but we reject incredible things all the time for lesser things. And so what we see, Christmas offers the gift of joy, but that offer is something that can be rejected. Now I'm about to share a bunch of verses. It's going to go really, really fast. And I shudder to even share them because it feels too lofty for me for what the Old Te- or the New Testament actually says about the joy that comes with Christ. And I'm afraid to share it because you might say, I don't have joy right now. But in that moment, you need to hear it more than anything. And so listen to this. And so this is all from John. There's more. We could step out and we could you know, spread around. But just in the Gospel of John, this is what he says. And so Jesus in John 15, 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. Now look what it says. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so if you're like, man, I don't have full joy, like this is saying, look to Jesus and look to the commandments and trust him. But it's an, out, it's an outstanding promise. There's a full joy that he can put in you, but it may not be what you think it is. Or, or he goes on, one chapter over, John 16. And so in verse 23, Jesus says this, and this is all things Jesus is saying. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, which means you better listen up because this is true. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Now look what it says again. That your joy may be full. Like Jesus entered in to fill joy, but it's rejectable. Meaning we can say, I don't believe it. It doesn't fit right. It doesn't work yet. And we can walk away and try to find joy somewhere else. Or, or look at John 17, one chapter over. John 17, verse 13, he says, But now I'm coming to you, Jesus is talking again, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves, that they may have my joy full. Jesus comes, 
not just with the gift of joy. He is the gift of joy. And John keeps telling us that over and over and over. And he's saying, I know there's times that you'll say, no, that's not what's going to bring joy. This will bring joy. And yet you know it doesn't satisfy. You know it leaves you wanting if if you've lived long enough. And so the first Christmas gift, Christmas offers the gift of joy. Number two, this one's shorter. And then the the third one's really short. So have hope. That's not one of the gifts we're offering right now. It is a gift of Christmas, but we're not offering hope. Christmas offers the gift of family. Look at verse 12. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so the first thing, it doesn't say, you know, those who choose him earn a position in the family of God. It says that he gave them the right. That word right, it comes from a word in Greek. It's eskousia. And it means authority or power to act. And so Jesus had the authority to get into the kingdom of God. He had the authority to be a part of the family. He had the right and he extends it to us. And so by his authority and by his power, if we believe and receive, he gives it to us. It's grace. And so then look at all that it says is not the way you get in. And so look at verse 13. Verse 13 says a lot of ways how you don't get into this family. And they're, they're ways that like we're very, very familiar with. And so he kind of steps in like he's talking about how you're born into this family. If we jump to John chapter 3, we talk about being born again. And, but right here he's talking about you can be born into this family. You can get in this family by accepting Jesus. But it's not the way other families are started. And so we kind of see this like kind of family planning matrix, which a lot of you have been on apparently. And so family planning matrix. And so verse 13, it says, uh, he says, who were born not of blood. And so you don't get into the family of God through a heredity. Like it's not who you're born to. It doesn't matter how faithful your parents were or your grandparents were or your great grandparents were. I, um, I remember at a family reunion uh, gathering around, and people were talking about, you know, their parents. And suddenly I realized that my grandparents, on my mom's side, they were talking about when they saw their parents, my great-grandparents, who I have, I have memories of them, but mostly memories of, like, why is this carpet this color? Like, lime green. How did that ever happen? Uh, mostly memories of it. it was kind of a country house. I remember where it was, and I remember thinking, these grasshoppers are like dinosaurs, How are these grasshoppers so big? Those are some of my memories. But all of a sudden, my grandma Joy, sitting with her brothers and sisters, started talking about when their dad came to Christ. The pastor came by their house and just started talking about Jesus to him. And they said, he changed. I just assumed we'd always been Christians. But all of a sudden, Jesus entered into a family line, but that only gets transferred if you keep talking about Jesus, and then at some point, you come to a decision of, I choose Jesus. And so it's not by heredity. It's not by heredity. Or it's not by your passion. Like, your passion does not get you into the family of God, meaning it's not like you have to muster up some sort of gumption, like, I really, really believe it. I'm going to prove it in worship. I'll put my worship cringe on. Like, look what it says in verse 13. It says, not, not we were born, not of blood. Then it says, nor of the will of flesh. 
And so the will of flesh is actually pointing to the idea of passion. Like it's actually pointing to the idea of like, you know, the, the birds and the bees, which birds and bees have nothing to do with how babies come about. But it's talking about that. It's talking about like attraction. And so it's not saying there's something inside of you that if you like get enough gumption that then you earn it. You can't earn it. It's a right that's given. But then verse 13 goes on. It says, nor the will of man, which means you can't plan your way in. Like your planning does not get you in, into the, the family of God. Like you can't just say, okay, man, I'm going to, you know, really focus and study now. And then once I have enough knowledge, then I'm going to really, really know. And, and then I'm going to do really good things. You know, I'll go on this mission trip and I'll help. I'll help that old lady across the street. She needs help. I will help her. Planning doesn't do it. The planning has to start in the heart of God. Like the planning has to start in, in the heart of God. And that's what Christmas is all about. From the very beginning, it started in the heart of God. And as we kind of unpack the gospel in this text, it's going to be, you know, Jesus showed up to embody the gospel. But it was the message that was always being pointed to from the very, very beginning. And so it says there's all kinds of ways that you can't get in. But then look at verse 13, the end. It says, but of God. So it's not heredity that you gain. It's not passion you muster up. It's not a plan, that, a life plan that you work out. It has to be something of God. And we get this idea of the scriptures all over the place. If you flip to James 1 verse 18, you don't have to, it's going to be on the screen. But if you flip there, it was said, of his own will, of Jesus' will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Of his creatures. Now, the NIV says it a little bit more plainly. It says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And so we see the plan of salvation starting within the heart of God. And Revelation says it started before sin happened, that before the foundations of the earth, the Lamb was slain, meaning God was not surprised. He wasn't scrambling for a plan B. He knew it was going to go wrong. It was going to get foggy. He knew how big of a mess you were going to be. And when Jesus looked at the Father and said, Christmas is a good idea, and he said, Easter is a good idea, it was settled. Before the foundation of the earth, the lamb was slain. That is the gift of Christmas. And so we can get in this family. And it says, like, we can get in this family, it means we have this good father. And I, I had a bunch written about this, but I had to condense it because I'm trying to preach less because uh, I want to be a loving pastor to you. But a father who leads and guides, verse 4 and 5 of John 1, it says that he is a light that has penetrated the darkness. Fathers lead and guide. A father who protects, John 10, verse 11, like there's so much more we could say in this, but he leaves, after, he leaves the flock to go after the missing sheep. But John 10, that says, it says that in a lot of places, but John 10 says he lays down his life for the sheep. It's protection. Or a father who comforts. There's lots of places I could have looked, but I don't know if there's a better place than 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where God is described as the God of all comfort who comforts us in our time of need so that we can comfort others in their time of need. Like we have this loving Father because Christmas happened. And so Christmas offers a heavenly joy with these incredible promises 
that I'm saying meditate on them, believe them, follow them. Christmas offers entrance into a heavenly family, but those aren't the only gifts. Christmas literally offers God. Like look at verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh. Like that is a core doctrine, not an agree to disagree. Like the Bible hinges, the New Testament hinges on this idea. Jesus was not like a super enlightened guy that got a special dose of God's word and he taught us how to be nice to one another. It says that God wrote himself into the story. And if you take the whole picture of what we see in the scripture, it's, I, I don't even know how it works out. It sounds crazy. It says that God limited himself. Jesus limited himself. So Philippians 2, he limited himself. He did not consider like his nature of God as something to be held on to, grasped. But he let go of it. Being found in the likeness of man, lived among us, died in our place. And then in Revelations, we see him coming back, still embodied. A body with scars, like a cooler body. Like cooler than yours, cooler than mine, but it still has scars. How incredibly, tragically beautiful is that? The God of the universe permanently limited himself in some way to include you in his family. He became flesh, which tells us some things. Like Jesus put on flesh to make God knowable. We already looked at Hebrews 1 and we looked at Colossians 1 and all of them say the same thing, that we can now know God because Jesus put on flesh. But Jesus put on flesh to live a life we couldn't live. He had to come and stand in our place and defeat temptation. Like even the place mattered. He went into the wilderness where God's people failed time and time again. He goes out in the wilderness to secure a victory for us. Or Jesus put on flesh to die a death that we deserved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God. The great exchange started Christmas. Christmas offers us God. Christmas offers us some sort of heavenly joy. Christmas offers us some sort of heavenly family that we get grafted into. Christmas offers us the gospel. The good news that was long promised but accomplished in Jesus. And so we first hear about this hint of the gospel right after sin enters in Genesis 3.15 when God told Eve that from her line a son would come and that son would do battle with the serpent and he would crush its head. So from the very beginning it wasn't saying, okay, you're going to you know, earn your way back. Man, I'm going to ban you out of Eden, but if you do a really good job and you, you know, have a really great family and you work really, really hard, you'll get back in. It was this saying, a Savior is coming. In the most ordinary way, a Savior will be born into this world, and that is the message of Christmas. And so let me just point to a couple things. This is going to go pretty fast, and I know you don't believe me because I say it all the time. But there are some words here that I think were really, really intentional that would have drawn the first century hearers, the Jewish hearers, to think about the Old Testament and to think about this good news and how all this good news was pointed at but found its place in Jesus. And so first, dwelt. And so Jesus is the place that we meet with God. 
Verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so John uses that word dwelt one other time in John chapter 7 when he's talking about the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, which pointed back to why the people of God were in the wilderness that they built this tabernacle and they would follow after God and they would set the tabernacle up, this tent, which later became the temple. And that was the place that Moses would go in and meet with God. And so it was the place that sinful humanity could meet with God. And so when he uses this word, he's going out of his way to say, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And so it's saying, if you want to meet with God, you've got to go through Jesus. And so just as God came to meet with his people in the tabernacle, he has come to meet with us in the person of Jesus. And that is what we get in Christmas. The next word, glory. Jesus is the glory of God made known to us. Jesus is the place that we can see the glory of God. There's other places that we see his glory, but he is the main place that we can see the glory of God. And so verse 14, it goes on. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the word tabernacled among us became a place that we could meet with God. And it says, we have seen his glory Glory as the only Son from the Father. And so it's drawing this thing, the glory of God that rested upon as the people were in the wilderness and they followed a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of smoke during the day. Where it led, they went. Where it stopped, they stayed. That kind of glory is found in the person of Jesus. It was the awesome, visible presence of God. And John is saying that this awesome, visible presence of God, The glory of God is actually seen in the person of Jesus. And he would say, man, there were times that we could see it so clearly. He would say, man, Peter, James, and John, man, go ask them. Like, man, there were times we could see it so clearly. Like, we went up on this mountain. We thought we were just camping. All of a sudden, Elijah and Moses were hanging out. Jesus changed. He was really bright. Sometimes we saw it so clear. Sometimes we saw it when he would embrace the most broken people. We would see it when he would confront uh, the religious leaders. We saw it when he would stand. We saw it when he taught. We saw glimpses of it. And he's saying the glimpses of what we saw was the glory of God made known to us, made embodied to us. And then two other words. And we're actually not going beyond verse 14. We've got to save some for next week. Two other words. Grace and truth. Jesus is the place where the law of God, the perfect requirements of God, meet the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. And it's the only place those things meet. And so verse 14, it builds, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. Jesus became a place that we could meet with God. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of the Father. We see the greatness of who God is. We can see that other places, but we see the greatness of who God is most clearly in the life of Jesus. And then it says, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Like we've experienced grace. You can experience some grace from other places. Like sometimes you're with someone and you experience grace from a person. Or sometimes you're with someone and you experience truth from a person. And so some people are are more gracious people. 
Like they're more, you know, they're just, they, they're just easier to get along with. Like they're nicer. They don't ruffle feathers. Like they're welcoming, easygoing. But grace without truth isn't really grace at all. Like it, it's great to be nice. It's great to have people who want you to feel better. But sometimes you need to hear the truth of what's really going on inside of you. And if they just say, oh, it's fine, man. I just want to hug you with my life. It's not loving. Because of brokenness, we also need truth. But because the truth is so hard, we need grace. And so sometimes we experience grace. Sometimes we experience truth, people. Like there are people that sometimes like they have principles, like they believe in right and wrong. Like they, we need them because they help us stay on track. They can inspire, but they can also crush. They can be impossible to live up to. And so he says, man, there is truth and there is grace. But in Jesus, it says full, like full of grace and truth. It doesn't mean like he's half gracious and he's half truthful. He's always truthful and he's always gracious. And he earned the right to do that because he was the son that had all rights in the kingdom. And he laid it down and then he died in our place so that God could deal with us fully truthful and fully gracious. And so what any, like what the first hearers would have thought when they saw truth and they heard, you know, thought about the tabernacle and the presence of God, they would have thought about Mount Sinai and the law. And how do we see Jesus deal with the law? Like he doesn't say, ah, oh, it's no big deal, don't worry about it. You know, man, we were, you know, we were having a bad day when we wrote it and we kind of made it a little too lofty for everyone. Sorry about that. He didn't do that. He amps it up. And, he, you know, he, he, they would have thought about things like Psalms 19, verse 7, where it says, the law of God is perfect, reviving the soul. You, you know, they would have thought about things like that. It has no flaws. But, like, how did Jesus use the law? Like, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus points at the law over and over, and he ratchets it up, and he says things like, have you heard, don't murder, commandment 6. He's like, well, maybe you haven't murdered, but if you have anger in your heart, you are guilty. There is a brokenness that lies beneath murder that is a seed form of murder and anger. And he says, that is dangerous. It's condemnable. Or he steps in like, you've heard, don't commit adultery. But he says, there's a seed form of adultery that lies in your heart that is lust and it is dangerous and it is condemnable. And so he takes the law and he ratchets it up to say, listen, we can't achieve it. It is worse than you think. And the law is good. It shows us how to have like a, to live in such a way that makes God happy. Like he wants our society to look a certain way, but we can't do it. And so it had to be done for us. And so first they would think the law of God and then the forgiveness of God. Jesus never slacked on forgiveness. He was open to those with problems. Like Psalms 103, it says that God forgives all your iniquities and he heals all your diseases or brokenness and that he can redeem everyone from the pit and that he has steadfast love and mercy for you. And then verse 5, it goes on to say that he will renew your strength like eagles. And so he says, listen, if you come to God and you are weary and you are broken and you're doing the best that you can, that he will take that and he can heal and he can redeem and he can lift up. And then it says in verse 12 that he can cast your sin away from you as far as the east is from the west, never to meet you again. It's the gift of Christmas. 
And so the forgiveness of God has a way to separate you from your sin forever. And Jesus was full of this kind of grace. Like we desperately need grace in our lives. Like, like we need to hear what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. We need to hear what Jesus says in Luke 15, that the wayward child who pridefully thinks he knows everything and ran away and squandered everything, we need to hear that if you turn back, that Jesus is the good father that embraces you and throws a party for you and brings you in. We need to know that God doesn't expect us to fix our lives before we come to him, that he is full of grace. And Christmas says that is a gift that is offered to you in the person of Jesus, it is the good news of the Bible that you can unwrap Jesus. But we also need to desperately know the truth. We need to hear what Jesus says, like in John 8, that it's his truth that will set you free. We need to hear what he says in John 8. It goes on where he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That sin is not as much something that we do, but it eventually becomes something that does us. It's dangerous. And Christmas is that the joy of heaven entered in with recreative power to invite you into the family of God. And he has the right to do it because he is God who embodied humanity. And he now offers you the gospel, the good news. Because he's full of grace and truth. John says so much about what we have. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, I just, uh, man, I just ask for help. You know, trying to be still as, uh, man, the band is rushing up here. Because I give no warnings. I just say, let's pray. As community team is coming up, as we think about how this was accomplished, and this started in Christmas, but it ended in Easter, and it is done, and it is finished, and it can't be undone, and now it is before us like a present being handed to us, and that present is the joy of heaven, Jesus Christ, and we celebrate him. Like I think about the songs that we sing, like the embodiment of God in flesh. What does it mean for us? And so, Lord, I pray that you just move. And wherever it is, if it's just like, man, I, I have not said yes to this, that you would receive Christ. There will be a slide on the screen talking about what it means to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Or as you're coming to communion, you would think about these things and think about, man, have I not been believing the scriptures about joy? I've been trying to find joy somewhere else. God is not going to stand here and be like, all right, now you whimper and you cry and then you fix it. He's just going to say, look back to me. And so that opportunity is before us. And I don't want to make that easy. I don't want to sound like it's just flipping and it's done. It is looking at the promises of what Jesus says about joy, what Jesus says about the family of God, what Jesus says that how you get in, what Jesus says he is for you. He who knew no sin became sin for you that you might have the righteousness of God. And that righteousness is the right that gets you into the family of God. Wherever you need, I pray that you'd wrestle with that. You should bring it. I pray you could bring it with a smile on your face because you are welcomed to the table of God. Lord, we love you and we need you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Move when you're ready. 
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.